There is a danger in the church today, and it is not ISIS, and it is not some new virus strain, and it is not even global warming. (laughs) The danger in the church today is complacency. That's our greatest threat, and that's the way in which Satan works most prominently in the church is slowly lulling the people of God asleep spiritually so that he can take over their lives. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, as he unfolded the parable of the sower and the seed, he said this. He said, those who are damned and separated from God, one of those groups followed the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. These enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So in this season of Christmas preparation with all the festivities and the buying of gifts and all the stuff that comes along with it, don't let the word be choked. Don't let the word be choked. For if you've been doing Christmas long enough, it's easy to become jaded, isn't it? I mean, we've done it. We've done it. I'm almost 49, 48, be 49 on December 10th. I've heard the readings before. I've, I've sung the carols. I've decorated the tree. I've, I've done all the family festivities. It's easy for Christmas to become dry and stale and lifeless. And for us to lose the meaning of joy and hope and salvation that comes on Christmas Day. So like a splash of cold water on a December day, we need to wake up. As Father Tyler said last week, we need somebody with some shock value about them to come in and wake us from our doldrums. C.S. Lewis, I love it. He, he spoke in the God of the Dock. He spoke uh, about his conversion in this way. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew that a bottle of port wine would do that. <laughs> if, I, if you want religion to make you feel really comfortable... I certainly don't recommend Christianity. You're not meant to be comfortable, my friends. You need shock therapy. And who's going to shock us out of our doldrums this year? John. John. First off, he's not John the Baptist. He did not found the Southern Baptist Convention, although some of my Baptist friends will tell you that he did. He is John the Baptizer. He's coming to baptize people in the wilderness for a new opportunity, a new beginning with God. Jeremiah 31, the promise of a new covenant, has come to God's people so that people who are spiritually tired of being spiritually tired can be refreshed and forgiven in the grace of our Lord. And that's what he came to proclaim. So there are three things I want you to notice about John this morning. First of all, he comes as a wild man. I mean, he's shocking in his appearance. And I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I bet you have a crazy Uncle Eddie in your family. I mean, you know, I do. And, and you invite them to Christmas every year, and you, you don't know what they're going to say or, or how they're going to be dressed or, or how they're going to appear at your front door. And, and everybody knows that if they do show up for Christmas, then you're in for a wild ride this year. So you open the door, and all of a sudden, this guy appears. If you've seen Christmas Vacation, And he shocks you with the things that he says and the things that he does. Well, in Advent, Christians have an equally shocking guy. And it's not Uncle Eddie. It's this guy. 
John. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, we get these words from God. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. And you see him eating that right there. You see, uh, he was actually the opposite of Uncle Eddie. He didn't come dressed like a redneck. He came dressed like a prophet of God, like Elijah in the Old Testament. Truth be told, this man, John, had never touched a drop of liquor in his life. He was austere, and he had a clear mind and a clear spirit before God and a clear mission and message for God's people. He was wild, but he was wild for Jesus. We need more men in the church wild for Jesus. I don't know about you, but I think we care too much about what other people think about us. This man is eating locusts and wild honey and wearing camel's hair in the wilderness, proclaiming the word of God. He is fearless. He's courageous. We need more men like that. So first of all, he's a wild man for God to shock us and wake us up. Second of all, he is full of the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us that Elizabeth, his mama, she received the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, whose canticle we just read, number 16, full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he began singing this morning. That's the canticle you read. In Luke 1.15, it says that John was full of the Spirit. It says, for he will be great before the Lord. Here's the, here's the message. He will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He popped out full of the Spirit. Isn't that awesome? So don't miss that for your family in this Advent preparation. If you want the best for your family, you've got to receive the Holy Spirit of God. You can do nothing apart from the spiritual roots that the Holy Spirit gives you. Okay? Full of the Spirit, wild man in the wilderness, next, full of the Word. I want you to look at chapter 3 of Luke's Gospel. If you have your iPhones or iPads or whatever it may be, if you don't... Um, I just have to go from my word. But chapter 3, verse 2, we have these words. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The word of God. His daddy had taught him the word of God, the word of salvation, the word of hope. His mama had taught him the word of God, the word of salvation, the word of hope. Now John has received the word of God and he's going out to the people with the word of God. That's what he's doing. That's what prophets do. They receive the word of God, and then they take it out to God's people. How many of you are training your children in righteousness, training them up in the word of the Lord? That's your job. Elizabeth, Zechariah, we'll, we'll need a John for the next generation. So those three things. We get a shocking man in the wilderness, absolutely startling, the prophet, full of the Holy Spirit of God, full of the word of God. And he was brimming. I mean, he was bursting at the seams, ready to tell people about the salvation of Jesus. It had been 400 plus years since they had heard a word from God. Remember Malachi, our Old Testament reading today? 400 years had spanned between the last prophet and the newest prophet, John. No prophets had arisen. No visions had come from God. No spiritual revelations or prophecy no overwhelming sense that God is doing amazing things in our midst. Just a silent time. Just a silent time. But God was waiting. God was waiting to reveal himself in the flesh at just the right time. Here's what Paul says in Galatians. 
4.4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoptions of God's sons and daughters. The coming one come to save us. We're going to meet God face to face in the face of Jesus. He is Emmanuel, come back to be with his people. And the message was to bring salvation. So the shocking man brings a shocking message. Look at verse 3 of Luke's gospel if you have it with you. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Turn around. Repent. The New Testament word in Greek is metanoia. It means to, to make a conscious decision to turn away from all that is ugly and vile and ungodly in your life and, and turn your face back to a living Savior who loves you and wants to redeem you. Back in the 90s, they had a license plate, and it is terrible. God is my co-pilot. My co-pilot. Well, my friends, if God is your co-pilot, redemption means getting out of the car, going around and getting in the other seat and allowing him to take control of your life. Because if he's your co-pilot, the irony is that's where you're going to end up. <laughs> Repentance is turning your life around and turning back towards God before it's too late. Finding a Savior who is Jesus, who is the one true Savior of the world. You can't grasp on to a treasure of righteousness until you've let go of the junk and decluttered your heart for God. Here's the spiritual pattern we get in the Bible. Peter said to them in Acts 2.38, Repent, same word as John, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide you and walk with you and to give you the fullness of joy. And it says in Acts 16, 31, all you got to do is believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Repentance is taking stock of your life, looking at the ways you've, you've walked in your own ways and, and the ways that you've uh, uh, walked away from God in your life and saying, God, I want a new life in me. So in verse 4 today, we hear the word of the Lord. John's word was to prepare the way of the Lord and make his pathways straight, to shock us like water on a winter day, back into fully following Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, the, the ancient history of this is, is that if you had a coming king, which Advent means the coming, Adventus means coming, if you had a coming king, you would send out heralds into the far regions of the kingdom, and they would proclaim the king's coming. The king is coming! The king is coming! Get ready! You would send out ambassadors who would meet with the politicians of the area to make sure everybody's ready for the king's arrival. And you would send out road graders. And that's what John's doing this morning. He's grading the roads of our hearts. And in verses 4 and 5, he's preparing the way for the king's arrival. And it says that every valley shall be filled. And so if you're down in a valley this morning and need to be lifted up, if you've got friends in low places, you need to see Jesus face to face. He'll lift you up through repentance. If every mountain and hill shall be made low. So if pride is your big thing this morning, if vanity is your big thing, repent of that and come back down to Jesus and see him face to face. The crooked places will be made straight. 
The rough places of your heart will be leveled out. You don't want the royal cavalcade when he comes, the royal procession, to get bogged down in the mud. He is preparing a clear road, an open highway for the king to come. And isn't that what John did? He prepared the way for the Lord. If you don't receive the message of repentance, if you don't prepare your heart for Jesus, you might miss the king. And you might miss his ministry. You might miss Christmas. But worse than that, you might miss salvation. And that's the heavy message I have for you this morning. The king came for verse 6. Look at verse 6, if you will. Um, Verse 6 says this. Why does the king come? So that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. 400 years have passed. God has not spoken. And now God speaks his salvation into the world. This is something that very few Protestant preachers are comfortable with today. And I'm going to tell you point blank. There's a heaven and there's a hell. John was crying out in the wilderness. He wasn't speaking as a meek voice. He wasn't suggesting, you know, if if you have some time this Christmas, why don't you remember Jesus? Or, Or sometime during your big family meal, why don't you say a prayer to Jesus? He is crying out for the people of God to repent and return to the Lord. People either belong to Satan or they belong to God. They're either going to heaven or they're going to hell. And everybody on this planet is divided into two camps. Every nationality, every ethnicity, every language, either you're on one track or the other. Did you know that Jesus talked more about the dividing point of heaven and hell than anybody else in the scriptures? Jesus talked about sheep and goats and wheat and tares. And he said this, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He wants to be numero uno. He wants to be number one. If you're not putting Jesus in the driver's seat, you need to repent, get out of the car, get in the driver's seat, let him guide you. I don't want to be your your co-pilot. I want to be your pilot, Jesus says. And that's the danger of complacency. And that's the expediency of God's message through John. And that's the offer of salvation that all flesh might see the salvation of our Lord. But now look at verse 16. I will baptize you with water, John says. But he who is mightier than I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His, meaning Jesus' winnowing fork, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor And to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Luke chapter 3. Winnowing. What in the world is winnowing? Well, that's the ancient way that when you brought in the wheat harvest at the end of the year, you'd take your big old pitchfork and put it under the wheat, and you'd throw it up into the air, and the wind would blow away the bow weevils and the husks and the straw, and only the good grains would come back to the ground. That's what he's talking about. Jesus one day will come with a winnowing fork. And the chaff and the weed and the husks the, the hus that are no good, they'll be burned away. Everyone's on one path or the other. Now, Jesus didn't talk about hell to scare us. He talked about hell because he's the Savior. So that all flesh will see the salvation of our God. John Piper, the wonderful preacher, once put it like this. It is good news when someone wakes you up and says, quick, the hotel's on fire, but there's still time, and I'll show you how to get out. 
He is the way and the truth and the life. The gospel always contains two things. One is the wrath of God for the punishment of sinners, and the other is an offer of salvation by grace through faith. It always has those two elements. And that is why just after pronouncing judgment on his people and the winnowing fork coming, that John says in verse 18, or Luke says about John, so with many other exhortations, he, John, preached good news to his people. The hotel's on fire. There's still time. I know a way out in the way of Jesus. Romans 10 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I call you to stand with John this morning in preaching Jesus to your relatives. They're going to come, crazy Uncle Eddie's and Aunt Petunia's. Wouldn't it be great to pray for their souls before they arrived, to actually read some scripture when they got here? Maybe it's a co-worker that you can impress faith upon. But Charles Spurgeon put it like this. Here's the immediacy of the message and the needfulness of it. He said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish over our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. So stand full of the word and full of the spirit. Stand as a wild man or a wild woman like John did. The spirit will give you the words if you need to share it with a neighbor or a friend. And so with many exhortations, he preached the good news of God to the people. Read the scriptures with your family. Don't let familiarity kill Christmas this year. The stakes are too high. The stakes are salvation. And one day, he will come with a winnowing fork in his hand. And he'll divide the chaff and the bow weevils and all the other stuff from the wheat for the harvest. On which side will you be? Do you need to pray for somebody in your family? Do you need to pray for yourself? Maybe now is the time to repent and return to the Lord and receive that message of salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy God, we know that you are a loving God and that you sent a message of salvation to us because you love us, because you're so grace-filled. We thank you, dear Lord, and we pray that our hearts may be turned back to you in the spirit of Advent, that we may full-own follow Jesus Christ and put him as pilot of our hearts and Savior of our souls. And dear Lord, if there are people in our family right now who need that message of salvation, we just take a moment of silence to mention their names in our hearts. Prepare the way of the Lord, dear Jesus. Come with your Holy Spirit to save. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.